Hello and welcome to Nomads You and I. Wouldn't it be incredible to find, if you looked around the ground and you see Satan's playbook, what if you picked it up and looked inside and saw what kind of luring temptations he had in store for you this week? What slow series of events has this ultimate enemy is gonna try to use against you to weaken you in one little step at a time? and how he was gonna twist your strengths into vices. What if you could eavesdrop on this diabolical conversations that he's having regarding just how he was planning to tear down what you have worked so long to build in your relationship with your family, your children, your parents, your friends, by planting subtle misunderstandings and miscommunications that he can use against you. Such a fine would surely give you an advantage. With your eyes now wide open, you'd be able to notice when he is using opportunities right and left. With this awareness, you'd be better able to cut him off at the pass and ultimately to conquer. In 1942, brilliant English author C.S. Lewis wrote The Screwtape Letters, a book that cannot help but change the way you view your adversary. In this fictional story, Screwtape, an experienced tempter, writes a series of 31 short letters to his nephew, Wormwood. Wormwood is a novice in securing damnation for the soul, or in this, as this book calls it, his patient, um, that's been assigned to him. And his uncle, Screwtape, writes these letters to enlighten him in all the best tools of the trade. So because these schemes are 100% real, no work of fiction will sober your spirit in the battle for your salvation and the salvation of those within your sphere of influence than this little paperback. I found a brave and beautiful sister in Christ who also benefited very, very much from reading the screw tape letters, and I am delighted to be in her home today in Puyallup, Washington. Welcome, Julie Crones. Hi, Cindy. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, thank you for the scone. It was delicious. And so I just really appreciate your courage and everything and getting to know you a little bit better today. So we've kind of been on the outskirts of each other's lives with all kinds of people who sort of bind us together. And I think I first met your sister, Molly, when she was dating Ian, a younger man that at the time my husband was studying the Bible with and later baptized into Christ. In April of 2017, I'm not sure if you know about this, but I was on an 11,300-mile road trip with various sisters in Christ over the course of 57 days, and your and my mutual friend, John Elliott, helped me from time to time to find lodging with Christians, and toward the end, my best friend, Debbie McCowan, and I landed in Montana for a night, and as we were enjoying the company of our sweet hostess, Mandy, and she starts telling her life story. Suddenly, Deb, my friend, who had had her adorable son in her lap, goes, wait, you're Mandy? And gave her last name, which I guess I'm keeping off of this podcast just sure. in case because I haven't. Um, you know, she's like, I've never met you, but I prayed so hard for you for years, you know, over her health. And it's such a blessing to see Deb then holding that answer to her prayers, the son of this woman that she had, that God had granted life to. And now 
has two beautiful children, yes? Three boys. Three boys. I stand corrected. <laughs> so, and unless I'm mistaken, I think we met later that year at John and Elliot's. John and Leanne Elliot's, is that right? Yes, for the solar eclipse. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> August 21st, 2017. What a day that was. Yes. Yeah. That was the first, yes, that was the first time I met you. Uh-huh. Although, for years, I had heard about Cindy Dunnigan. Oh. Um, just mutual friends. Oh, yeah. And I always had heard, oh, she's Cindy's so amazing. And, and I knew you were the preacher's wife. Okay. And just that little bit of information, I had this image of you <laughs> <laughs> of who Cindy Dunnigan was going to be. Okay. And then we were at John and Leanne's. Okay. And you show up in like your bell-bottom jeans. <laughs> and, you know, your cute haircut. Ah. And... I before I knew it was you, I thought, who is this petite little hippie oh. lady <laughs> that just showed up? Yeah, bye bye stereotypes. And huh? I had I was not expecting you to look the way you did, yeah. <laughs> and it was. But I as soon as I started talking to you, I just oh, so fell sister. in love with you, and I just thought. I love that, Cindy, you just, you, you break the stereotypes mm. and I just love that about you, yeah. that you were free to be you and mm -hmm. you didn't put pressures on yourself to fit a mold or, mm -hmm. um, so anyway, that was my first impression okay. of you. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for letting me know. And yeah, and I just remember sitting across from you at a dinner and just so relating on the adventurous spirit. Mm. You know, like we're both sort of love to travel. Yes. And yeah, have adventures and see what happens. Yeah. I'm probably a little more timid natured than you. I'm not a seven. Okay. Um, I think I'm a four. Oh, a four. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. But there is definitely a, a, mm. a nomad in me. Oh, there is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just so. waiting to get out. So how yeah. long ago did you read the screw tape letters initially? Well, this was my third time reading mm, when mm -hmm. you proposed this opportunity to me. Yeah. Um, my first encounter with Screwtape was several years ago. I actually listened to the audio oh, that yeah. Focus on the Family put out. Okay. And it's uh, radio theater, so it's like dramatized. Oh, I see. Background and sounds and yeah, things like that. Yeah, and they, they actually got the actor who plays Smeagol okay. in Lord of the Rings. Oh. He narrates... For Wormwood. I see. That's very effective. <laughs> very. And so that was my first experience. And listening to it, I definitely, um, you know, I got more of a big picture. Yeah. You know, I, it's yes. harder to listen versus reading. Like Agreed. you get more details reading it. So that was my first experience. And it had a big impact oh, yeah. on me. Yeah. Somehow in my first two readings, I missed the final chapter, which I don't want to giveaway yeah i guess we'll keep that <laughs> as a surprise for yeah. folks that's going to be tricky if we accidentally say it then i'll just delete it but yeah yeah, yeah okay we'll save that somehow i feel really stupid that i <laughs> somehow missed the the final chapter's point um <laughs> no this if you're gonna miss a final chapter's point it's gonna be on something c.s lewis wrote because okay. i can't tell you how many times I reread sentences yes. and reread sentences and still. Yes. Uh, sometimes. And I'm looking up definitions. Absolutely. It's not the easiest book you're ever going to read. I have my phone next to me and I'm Googling, what does this oh, yeah. word mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So he's definitely above my reading level. 
Um, and many times I have to read two, three times mm-hmm. to grasp what he's saying. Yes, and I think part of that also is the fact that we are reading someone else's mail. And so mm-hmm. if you were to have access to someone's mail, you'd kind of not know what's really going on. And I almost think C.S. Lewis wants us to, to feel a little bit on the outskirts, mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, like we are reading someone else's mail. So I think that's part of the intrigue, you know. I okay. think that's part of what makes the book interesting. And isn't it fun to read an author that you really have to reach for? To really get it, you know, it's not it just is, spoon fed to you. Yeah, it feels, you know, rewarding. Yeah, and you feel like your brain got a few extra wrinkles, you yeah, know, agree, <laughs> and stretched, and <laughs> so that's, you know, that's always a good thing. Yeah, and so you've bumped in recently to some good podcasts for folks too. Maybe I don't know if you want to recommend any of those that you heard recently. Sure. Or? Well, I watched the book club that PragerU just put out. Okay. They just did. Um, that was their book club book of the month. Yeah. Um, recently, I listened to that. And uh, another podcast I listened to is called The Overthinkers. Uh-huh, I love and the name of that. <laughs> yeah. It's right up my alley. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. and they had uh, one of the leading experts on C.S. Lewis. He's, I believe, a maybe a professor at Oxford who just wrote a book about C.S. Lewis. It wasn't specific to screw tape, but just mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis and his work in general. Yeah. So that had to be interesting. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty short. It was like a okay. 30 minute podcast. Sure. So it wasn't totally comprehensive. Right. But, you know, there were some fun little details and stories. Yeah. So I think I have almost read just about everything he's written. The wow. abolition of man went totally over my head but the rest of it I got a ton out of okay so, so good all right well let's dig in so uh can you tell us like how the book opens like what's the opening scene and maybe what you got out of it yes okay um I do want to preface this yeah. with a disclaimer okay that my memory is I'm sure not perfect <laughs> all right so we're giving a <laughs> is this going to be fact-checked <laughs> okay so we're giving Julia free pass today to recall to the best of her recollection thank you yeah I yeah. appreciate that okay um if my mem- memory serves me he's sitting in a museum mm-hmm. in London mm-hmm. and just being in the museum he's thinking big thoughts about life mm. Um, the big questions, yeah, like the big questions. What's this all about? Is there really yes. a God or these kinds of mm, yes. the deepest questions? His tempter, Wormwood, yes, comes up with an idea. Yes, and what's and the idea? It's to think about. Oh, I'm hungry. Uh huh. I'm hungry. You know, what is this physical sensation I'm feeling uh-huh. at the moment? Yeah, and it I could can come back to this other thing anytime. Yeah. And so it's the trick of distraction. I've been hearing that a lot with people among the New Age movement of, if you're Mm. stirring the soup, only stir the soup. Like, be all there. Be present. Just think about soup. I think that's that's the temptation is, Mm. I mean, when we're doing mindless tasks, that's when we have space to think about those eternal concepts. Interesting. You know, like synthesizing what God's doing in our lives Instead of just thinking about soup, we can think hmm. about the eternal well-being of our next-door neighbor who just gave us the carrots to put in our soup. You know what I mean? That's interesting. So, yeah. so what do you have? Anything on chapter two? Yes. So in chapter two, he has been converted. Okay. 
and we don't get to see the conversion okay. happen. Yeah. Uh, but he's a new Christian, okay. and he's joined a church, uh-huh. and it's this temptation of looking around and thinking that, well, I'm a Christian now, but looking around at the silly people in the pews around you and thinking, but I'm not like these Christians. Right, (laughs) right. So some pride. Yeah, yeah. Just some of the temptations that Christians face. So what is your favorite quote from chapter two? The quote here I have is, desiring their freedom... He therefore refuses to carry them by their mere affections and habits to any of the goals which he sets before them. He leaves them to do it on their own, and there lies our opportunity. But also, remember, there lies our danger. If once they get through this initial dryness successfully, they become much less dependent on emotion and therefore much harder to tempt. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I was thinking the dryness had to do, and I, I think we see this in marriage sometimes. So marriage can kind of go through cycles sometimes where there's really a lot of deep intimacy and there's a lot of emotional connection for one reason or another. Um, and then there's periods of what I think C.S. Lewis refu- refers to as dryness. And so mm-hmm. that's going to be kind of where you're not feeling it. You're yeah. just not feeling it as much. And so I think, yeah, the value of that quote that you had is the beauty in doing the right thing, whether you feel like it or not, depending on how, you know, whether your emotions are motivating you or not, still doing the right thing, even without almost the crutches of emotions, still treating people with as much love and affection and warmth despite periods of dryness. So yeah, I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing to point out. Yeah. I think it's interesting, this idea that he refuses to carry them. Oh. That's an interesting idea. Okay. Yeah. So that sometimes we sense that God is closer than other times. Yeah. Or that he seems distant, even though we feel attached to him emotionally. But he, it's like kind of a feeling, maybe we see it in the Psalms with David. Yeah. You know, like, where are you? In the Psalms, God talks about how he's near the brokenhearted. Yeah. I get the impression that there is sort of a waxing and waning with how God interacts with us. Yeah, or or our perception maybe, because at the very end of the scriptures, Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. But I think maybe it's our perception that he's feeling, even Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? So our perception, I think you're right, can kind of wane and wax. And to be able then to stay faithful to God, no matter what the extent of our emotional sensation is doing. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, we have to cling to that promise that Jesus is always with us. Mm-hmm. That is a promise. Mm-hmm. No so, matter how we feel. Yes. Because we can go, especially as women, there's the hormonal roller yeah. coaster, you know, yeah. and, and energy throughout, you know, starts to wane throughout life. So, yeah, there's so much swirling around us that our emotions are super inconsistent. But we can't afford for our relationship with God to not be consistent. As I'm thinking about, you know, just our relationship with our kids. Yeah. We're not always right next to them. I mean, when they're newborns, we're holding them. We're keeping them super close. Yeah. I have a six-month-old. I'm holding him less now than I was when he was six weeks old. Yeah. And he's starting to crawl, and pretty soon he'll be learning to walk. And 
just like this quote, you know, I'm not going to carry him all. There'll be times when I say, okay, you know, you need to walk now. Yes. Uh-huh. And so it's really not so different. I, I think how God interacts with us mm-hmm. that we interact with our children and that just the development mm-hmm. of us as babies into adulthood, I feel mm-hmm. like is so similar to us in the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Just that develop those developmental phases Yeah. I mean, maybe that's why we're gifted parenthood, so we can understand our spiritual journey that much better. Yeah. Maybe that's one of the reasons anyway. Yeah. But when we tell our kids, no, I'm not going to carry you. You need to walk. It's not because we don't want to be with them or or we don't love them less. It's that they need to grow up and they need to stretch their muscles and they need to learn independence. I think that's an interesting idea. Me too. And it shows, yeah, it's a way of strengthening our children. And God wants us to be strong and to trust him even when we can't feel him. You know, like kids trust what mom and dad's wisdom said, even when they're not present. So I had a favorite quote from chapter three. And that was, your patient must demand that all his own utterances are to be taken at their face value and judge simply on the actual words, while at the same time, judging all his mother's utterances with the fullest and most oversensitive interpretation of the tone and the context and the suspected intention. And then the patient says, I simply ask her what time dinner will be and she flies into a temper. That's one of the quotes that probably stuck with me more than any other of how the tempter can use just little misunderstandings of when we interpret things that other people say from not the best motives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, the lesson for me is always assume the best motives. When someone says something that kind of rubs you the wrong way, look for the love behind it. Because mm-hmm. usually, especially if it's a brother in Christ, usually they mean the best for you. So I was trying to think of some examples. I mean, maybe a new mother can be sensitive about, you know, are other moms thinking I'm doing a good job? And if if an older woman comes up and says, oh, those little toes are so cold, let's get some sockets Mm. there. To try to hear that as, I love your baby so much and I wish for your baby warm toes forever. (laughs) Like I'm on your side. True. Yeah, Yeah. I see what you're saying. And I guess another example would be in times of grief, sometimes people are saying all the wrong things that are not doing a good job of making you feel better. Mm. And so I think we can offer grace to them to try to look behind. Okay, that was that was a loving attempt. Mm -hmm. Look through what they said to the heart that produced what they said and just try to appreciate the love they're trying to show to you. And be maybe less of a critic of how well they're coming up with the right words. Yes. That kind of thing where we, I think that's what it means when it says love hopes all things, Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, where you just are always constantly assuming the best motives. Yeah. I love that. So I learned something in chapter four that really stuck with me too. And that was not meditating in prayer upon the quote, completely real external invisible presence there with him in the room, unquote, and the glorious luminosity of God or his caring eyes upon us, but instead picturing him in a, what he calls composite objects, such as an image on a wall mounted crucifix kind of like what are you picturing when you're praying to god is it the little statue is it really what do you visualize when you're praying is it his caring eyes is it his glorious luminosity 
is it his completely real external invisible presence there in the room like it's so so holy the realness mm. of the spirit being who loves us and who hears our prayers and experiences them like incense the book of um revelation says so mm. for me that was such a reminder to be alert in prayer and really to confess to God everything that he already knows. It, confession is so weird in terms of like, it's not like we're filling him in. Like if I confess something to you, I'm filling you in on what's really going on. Mm-hmm. With God, he's yeah. omniscient. And so he's there going like, when is she gonna <laughs> just say the real thing that we both know about? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's no news to him. And then just pouring out our praise and prayer and really tapping into his power that's often just a request away. And just prayer is such a big deal. It makes all the difference. And so chapter four was such a good reminder of that. So what do you remember about chapter five? Well, I have it summed up in one word, which is war. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wartime. Yeah. Um, and Crutape tells Wormwood that what we want is either extreme patriots uh-huh. or ardent pacifists. It's an interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting. Um, we don't want balanced people that see the realities of both sides. We want because really, what they're aiming for is division. You think lack mm-hmm. of unity among the citizenry of that of England there, or maybe you know an extreme patriot. Where's their trust? Oh, um, uh huh. In the country itself, not yeah. in God. And maybe the ardent pacifist is just sort of indifferent, Uh complacent, doesn't bother to care. And I'm anything but complacent. Uh (laughs) So I have to, I have to watch, um, you know, myself from falling into those, that extreme patriot or that kind of a person um, because I care very much about almost everything. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, But where is my trust? Mm, mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. What a good reminder. Yeah. Um, I have a quote here. How disastrous for us is the continual remembrance of death, which war enforces. That's a quote from Screwtape. Oh, uh uh-huh. And I have in parentheses next to it, COVID. Oh, right, (laughs) right. I find it interesting that over this last year, how often did we talk about, are you right with God? Mm -hmm. You know, we focused on all the precautions. The masks, not the masks. The yes. The vaccines, not the vaccines. And I feel like the church in any other century, mm. not that we would exploit a sickness in a pandemic. Right. Not that we should exploit that. Mm-hmm. But the reality is some people will die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're all going to die. Death is on the <laughs> minds of... Yeah. And yeah. It, it was just too uncomfortable mm-hmm. to even allow ourselves and even churches to even talk about that with yeah. their members like are you ready like you're probably you have a 99.9% chance that or whatever the point percent is uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> that you'll get this and you'll be fine but yeah um you might be one of the random people that right. it takes right. are you right with god uh-huh <laughs> so yeah what i hear you saying is that covid put, did the very thing this chapter talks about yes. where it put death in the forefront of our conversations yes and in, at least in the forefront of our minds if we're not willing to go there mentally but yes yeah and that's but we took value. we took that discomfort away from everybody on the political realm on the uh-huh. um 
even in churches, being in touch with your mortality. This yeah. is of great, great value. Yeah. yeah. And COVID is an opportunity to do that. You know, yeah. I will die if not from COVID, from something else. Yeah. I, we have seen as we've traveled around the country, we drove eight, 28,000 miles last wow. year. Uh, that's like more than the circumference of the earth. And right. we visited 55 churches of Christ. And we can tell you that a lot of people, because of COVID, right now, for some reason, the Temple Terrace congregation is in my head because they had this kind of vein of gold of conversions that were related to COVID where mm. they were having people like doing one on calling for one-on-one -on -one Bible studies. And then when someone came to Christ, then their husband would, they'd start immediately classes with the husband and then classes with relatives. And mm. so the church in some places really did grow. And I think other churches, it was their undoing. So like any okay. kind of, like any kind of stress or trauma, Definitely COVID is an opportunity to go one way or the other, you know, to grow or yeah. to die. So, well, and that is so true of the Christian life. There's no neutral mm -hmm. space. You're, it's a direction. For so sure. you're either growing towards Christ or you're growing away. That's not, if we're not growing towards, then we're growing away. That's true. Chapter six, there's a quote that goes right along with us about being more concerned about, quote, what is going to happen to us, unquote, instead of how well we will respond. Mm. goes right along with what you're talking about. I mean, underestimating the power of God who controls what will happen to you for your growth overvaluing physical safety and comfort, undervaluing how long and excruciating eternal destruction is. I mean, that's the heaviness of this book, is it not? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a, probably one of the scariest books I've ever read because it's a reminder of what's at stake. Mm. You know, how are we going to use things like COVID? Are we going to use it to grow? This book encourages us to use every situation to grow. The quote I have from chapter six is, the great thing is to direct malice to his immediate neighbors, whom he meets every day, and to thrust his benevolence out to the remote circumference mm -hmm. to people he does not know. The malice thus becomes wholly real, and the benevolence largely imaginary. And that's so easy, like, yeah. you know, with Facebook to think that your best friends are somebody who live miles away and yeah you, you know you have something kind to say to them but then the people in your own home exactly. you or the people that you're interacting with you assume bad motives yes and it reminded me too of how so many people want to and should this is a good thing we even do it like help people in india or help sex trafficking in thailand and all of that and yes do that do that do that but really let's be patient with our toddler <laughs> let's yeah. not like collect annoyances on our husband and watch them and like oh everything he does bugs me and you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like working harder at loving from the heart, the people that are close to us, our congregation, our families, our friends, and then having that love go out to the remotest parts of the earth. Because really home life is the school of learning all of that, right? Loving the people that you're near today in the mm -hmm. ways that grow your patience and th sacrifice and things like that. Yeah. The only other quote that I had from chapter six was around thinking that we're virtuous when our virtues have not made it past fantasy and into our will and habits. The quote is, all sorts of virtues painted in the fantasy or approved by the intellect or even in some measure loved and admired will not keep a man from our father's house, that is hell, unquote. 
it's really tricky in this book, isn't it? When it says our father, we're talking about Satan. It's like everything yes. is backwards. So keep that in mind as we're reading quotes. That yes. Throw some people off sometimes. But like first John three eighteen says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. For me, I'm like, put it on the calendar if I need to. I know women around the country that like maybe on Mondays, they want to make sure after they've been with their church family, I'm going to text somebody some encouragement that needs it the most every Monday or, and you know, and you can have on your phone, like it'll repeat every Monday. So you just put it in once and there it is every Monday. And I think sometimes that's what we need. It's the same thing with like a prayer journal and that kind of thing where you could actually set up systems to Mm -hmm. transfer your the love of virtue into actually doing virtuous things. Mm, like that. It, it, sometimes it's just like, well, like your first point where it's like, oh, let's just distract him. So that can happen both in thoughts that we need to really, really ponder. And it can also happen in let's distract her from good deeds, you know, mm-hmm. and taking care of your baby is also a good deed. I love, I love <laughs> the verse that talks about just a cup of cold water in his name given, you know, mm-hmm is blessed how many cups of cold water will you at the end of your parenting um that's a lot of cups and sippy <laughs> cups and like and you're rewarded for every single one of them so it's a beautiful thing so we need to not discount that so what else do you have chapter eight is about that the christian life you know we have valleys oh yes. we have valleys and we have peaks yes yes and The quote that I pulled out that meant a lot to me is, Mm -hmm. he relies on the troughs even more than on the peaks. Mm. We want cattle who can finally become food. Mm -hmm. That was talked about in the beginning that Satan wants to absorb us. Mm. Like we're just food. Mm. Okay. So he says, we want cattle who can finally become food. Mm -hmm. He wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in. He wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled. He is full and flows over. The enemy wants a world full of beings united to him, but still distinct. They are to be one with him, but yet themselves. He leaves the creature to stand up on its own legs. Hence the prayer offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. Mm. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Mm -hmm. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and still obeys. Mm. Not good. Love that. (laughs) Those were kind of some excerpts, but it was in a long paragraph together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I do that. I just love that. That's such an interesting idea to me. I think when I was younger in my Christian walk, I had this image of, Mm -hmm. okay, I need to be like Jesus. And then I had this image Mm. of what that looked like. And I thought that I couldn't have my own personality. Oh, okay. Like be my own person. And I love that idea that um, they are to be one with him, Mm -hmm. but yet themselves. Oh, uh uh-huh. And beings united to him, but still distinct. Yes, I love that. Yes. Yeah, that we're not all sort of morphed together into one stream of consciousness or something. That yeah. it's yeah. He made you exactly how you are. No two people alike, every fingerprint different. Yeah. Yeah. And he likes it that way. And so yeah, no matter your uniqueness, there's a place for you uh, in God's heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful quote. Yeah. I love this chapter. 
Mm-hmm. So then in chapter nine, it goes even deeper into what can be in the peaks and the troughs, especially the troughs, um, things like sexual temptation and those kinds of things. So what did you get out of chapter nine, Julie? The temptation when we're in the trough uh-huh. is that we can start thinking sorry for ourselves kind of self-pity okay the part where he talks about pleasure i thought was really interesting it says never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form we are in a sense on the enemy's ground Mm. i know we have won many a soul through pleasure all the same it is his invention not ours he made the pleasures all our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. Mm. Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which it is least natural, least redolent of its maker, and least pleasurable. Blown away. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Blown away. I love that because, you know, we, we get that. Uh, put on us like oh Christians you guys don't know how to fun God God just hates us to have fun yeah pleasure's the enemy yeah but everything is actually just a perversion of what God created right and God is the creator of pleasure yes ma'am the pleasures are in his right hand forever the scriptures say in his right hand forever not Satan's I remember that was something that really stood out to me in mere Christianity is that what really convinced him is that God was real yeah. and what turned him from being an atheist mm-hmm. was realizing that atheism is just a reaction to God. There's mm-hmm. nothing original about atheism. If you don't believe in God, there's, there's nothing original uh-huh. in being an atheist because uh-huh. it's all this reaction to God. Mm-hmm. And that's what I kind of think about with this idea of pleasure that God's the creator of pleasure. Mm-hmm. Everything is just a perversion right. of what he gave, something that's it's not in its natural form. Right. You right. know, and this is, this chapter is talking about sexual temptation. Yeah. So, it's not that sex is bad. Right. But when it's taken out of its natural form. Yeah. The context. Yeah. And isn't all sin often the things that we're tempted by are the misuses of our virtues. A lot of, a lot of times the thing that you're strong at, um, if it's perverted by Satan, that strength is still there, but now it's being misused in some way to accomplish the enemy of your soul's goals instead of what God had in mind when he gave you that strength. Someone has called our um, vices our shadows of our virtues. Hmm. And so if you think about that, you know, like somebody who's super outgoing and persuasive and things, you know, has that quality naturally, then they might end up manipulative because they know how charming they are, that kind of thing. So I think that's what what that means. And that goes along with that quote. So just a couple of short things I want to mention in chapter 10. He talks about postponing the acknowledgement that the false ideas of our friends um, whose company we enjoy the most are lethal. So, you know, they, if we have a friend who says something that we know is really destructive for their soul, and like, oh, I'm going to have to deal with that eventually. It seems to me that maybe what I learned from that is a better approach would be to immediately prayerfully 
say the hard thing the moment that it needs to be said mm -hmm. and that way it's not going to eat at you and everything and just kind of being like um, can I ask you about that or I think I'm misunderstanding what you're saying or just like can you can you say that in a different way because I'm not sure I'm picking up what you're meaning and helping the person who said the thing that causes you concern for the well-being of their soul saying just going ahead and saying the thing right there I think that's how it's supposed to be and that's that's the ideal obviously there's going to be situations where you maybe you're in the presence of other company that it's inappropriate right now to go there other times like just go ahead and ask the question for their the well-being of their soul um, the other thing in chapter 10 it talked about turning into the thing that we're pretending to be that stuck with me like it's we're to avoid even the appearance of evil so how we dress how we carry ourselves how we talk we need to do all that in a way that that shows that we don't really care as much about being cool as we do about being holy mm -hmm. being holy is what matters and that you do become we become what we pretend to be and mm -hmm. so i think that's why we are careful about how we allow our children to carry themselves and dress and that kind of thing that we don't let them pretend to be something that is dark not even on october 31st if i don't mind mm -hmm. i'm just going to be a little controversial right here just because it's october 31st god doesn't hand out free passes that you can pretend to be something that is dark because that you know what pretending is it's a fantastic thing that children do pretending is about practicing you're kind of practicing mm -hmm. and so let's practice things that draw us near to god and his light and his goodness mm -hmm. and then the last thing in chapter 10 that really struck me was becoming a quote-unquote different man in each of the circles that we frequent and then admiring our own ability to be what we would call more like adaptable or balanced or complete or mm -hmm. proudly complex although what we're really being is a treacherous hypocrite is what how he how he mm -hmm. phrases it so how do we tell the difference then between hypocrite and really being adaptable because we do mm -hmm. need to be to an extent adaptable Maybe one way to tell is, are we doing what we would do if Jesus was physically present? Because we're told in Romans 12, 1 and 2, not to conform to this world. Uh, being clever is not the same as being wise. And woe to you when all men speak well of you. So we need to love the favor of God more than the favor of men and just be who we are in all kinds of circles. I find that probably one of the most challenging things as an adult is being consistent in all my relationships yeah that if i'm with a friend who i know believes this mm -hmm. that i'm not pretending to be think like them yeah and then when i'm with my other friend who thinks something different right pretending like oh yeah i'm i'm that way yeah but i'm always looking for common ground true and you know paul talks about being all things to all men true. so i'm always looking for well where do we agree yeah and That's um but the good. the temptation in for me is okay. but don't compromise don't pretend to believe something that you don't or um you know speak up when you need yeah. to speak up and be truthful be vulnerable it really takes courage i think uh-huh Courage is a huge theme of this book. Oh, it's a huge thing. It's the thing. Yeah. yeah. 
I just want to stay anchored. Gotcha. And yeah. Yeah. Set an example of here. Here's how I see that topic, whatever it is, and here's why. And then not necessarily feeling, yeah, that you have to convince someone, but you can present the logic behind what you believe what you do. Well, what does the Bible say? And mm-hmm. that's the main and, thing. And um, what does God say? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's not what what truth I have. It's what truth is there. Mm-hmm. So we made reference just a few moments ago um, about something that chapter 12 brings out, and it's regarding our small steps away from God to be viewed as like trivial, or C.S. Lewis says, easily revocable. And that happens by retaining externally the habits of a Christian life while in our hearts slowly being carried out of the Lord's orbit, heading right away from the sun, as C.S. Lewis says, on a line which will carry us out into the cold and dark and utmost space by simply, quote, a few new friends and amusements, unquote. So slow are those little steps away from God. And wow, we just need to, when we see that happening, red alert, you know, think of it as an orbit and that God is the sun and you're circling him throughout your life and you want to circle very, very close. The New Testament talks about walking close to the shepherd, you know, Mm -hmm. right there with Jesus. And so to keep myself in orbit, it's just such a reminder there to commune, I think about an hour a day, if you, if you can possibly, with God by reading not a book about the Bible, but the Bible and telling him the truth about everything in your heart. I think we see this getting out of the orbit of God, that close circling around God when we see David seeing Bathsheba bathing and not turning away, or we see Judas starting to steal a little bit out of the money purse in the New Testament, and just these little bitty steps um, Mm. that pull us away from God, and we cannot afford that. There's just too much at stake. We need to be close to him always, always. My favorite quote from chapter 12 is, murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Mm. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Mm. Because he says earlier that a, a big sin... Yeah. Like, there's the chance that you'd feel repentant and remorseful about it. It's so obvious. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the better strategy is just, you know, mm-hmm. says exhort one another what it's called today. Yeah. You know, that's the theme I feel like of Hebrews is like yeah. every day. It's about, it's about every day, mm-hmm. you know, staying connected with your Christian family and mm-hmm. it's all about today. Yeah. Yeah, and some sins are definitely sneakier than others. Mm-hmm. And so I think some of them that are really just so tricky to fall on into maybe would be gossip or maybe envy mm-hmm. or these uh, quiet little sins of the heart might be what he's referring to when it's this. What was it? This soft underfoot, this slow little, you know, steps toward darkness that are mm-hmm. almost not noticeable. Yeah. And so really that, isn't that what the Bible uh, reading is all about? Is like all these little reminders of check yourself, check yourself, you know, mm-hmm. no matter what part of the Bible you're reading, yeah. there's always something. And it's also amazing where sometimes the thing that you're dealing with, like, whoa, I can't believe this is today's reading. It just fits exactly what... Yeah. 
I need to hear today. Yes. Well, it makes me think of, is it Hebrews 4, 12, that the word of God is living and powerful. It's oh. that sharp two-edged sword that, yeah. you know, cuts to the heart and, yeah. you oh. know, <laughs> cuts to our, the thoughts and intents of the heart. Oh, right. Um, that right. is motives. I, that's what this book is. It cuts to what mm-hmm. are your motives mm-hmm. and what are your intentions? And like you're saying, the attitudes of the heart, it's not these it does eventually lead to the external yeah. action. Yeah. But you could have external actions that look good. Yes. But what are the motives? You know, and he, yeah. there's like pride is a huge pride. theme of this book. You could on the surface look like you are living like rock star Christian life, yes. you know? <laughs> yes. But is it for your own glory? Is it mm-hmm. for your reputation? Mm-hmm. Um, Oh man, that is such a temptation in the church. <laughs> like yeah. that's such a temptation for me. Yeah. Like doing the right things but with the wrong motives. Yes, First Corinthians thirteen, right? If you don't have love, yeah. profits you nothing. Yeah. Even giving your body to be burned, if you got it's all gotta be from love. In fact, mm-hmm. we're told the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. That steering wheel that's inside us called our heart and making sure that that's what's causing us to do the things to God's glory that we do. Mm-hmm. There's a humbleness in take heed lest ye fall and always mm-hmm. realizing we are susceptible to any kind of fall. Yeah. Um, I have stars next to chapters 13, 14, and 15. Those were the crux of the book for me. Those were the best chapters that really spoke to me. Well, 13 takes you by surprise. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Because here he's talked about murder's no better than cards if cards can do the trick. That's right. That's right. And then he goes right into chapter 13. Yeah. And it's about pleasure. Okay. And he it, he was kind of at a pivotal point in his Christian life where he could have walked away in chapter 12. And then he goes to the country for the weekend. Okay. He reads a book that's just a book for pleasure. Okay. And he uh-huh. goes for a walk in the country and he has a great weekend. Uh-huh. And that was so dangerous because he experienced true joy and true pleasure and that chapter just, I was like blown away. Okay. Because, yeah. you know, you're just not e- expecting that, you oh, know, I and see, I see. mysterious strategies of Satan. Uh-huh. You're not expecting, oh, pleasure is this, you know, dangerous threat. Right. So the um, quote that I had from chapter 13 was, as you ought to have known the asphyxiating cloud which prevented your attacking the patient on his walk back from the old mill is a well-known phenomenon. It is the enemy's most barbarous weapon and generally appears when he is directly present to the patient under certain modes not yet fully classified. Some humans are permanently surrounded by it and therefore inaccessible to us. Mm. That was an interesting idea that... Um, you know, it's a little bit mysterious there uh-huh. and Satan doesn't understand it, but that there's some people who are out of reach. Uh-huh. Some Christians are, they're always in this, you know, yeah. protected space. Yeah. But for him, he was in that protected space because he had experienced real joy. And the real joy that he experiences is through a walk through nature. Is that the context of that then? Is it when he's taking this walk? Yeah, that pleasure is from God, and it's a gift from God, and that's why he made Garden of Eden so wonderful before sin came in, right? And you, 
Uh, my other favorite quote from chapter 13 is, of course, I know that the enemy also wants to detach men from themselves, but in a different way. Remember always that he really likes the little vermin and sets an absurd value on the distinctness of every one of them. Mm-hmm. When he talks of their losing their selves, he also means abandoning the clamor of self-will. Once they have done that, he really gives them back all their personality mm. and boasts, I'm afraid sincerely, that when they are wholly his, they will become more themselves than ever. Mm. Hence, while he is delighted to see them sacrificing even their innocent wills, he hates to see them drifting away from their own nature for any other reason. I can see why you were so drawn to that. I just love that he really gives them back all their personality, just what I was saying before, yes. that I, I misunderstood that earlier in my walk, thinking oh, yeah. that, you know, you read these scriptures about dying to self. Okay. And thinking that, yeah, that meant I couldn't still be myself. I see. Um, but... You know, we actually become our true selves. Right. And who he created us to be when we actually surrender that to him. Right. And and die to the self. It's like he fills us back up. And it's such a beautiful thought. That is so beautiful. Because, yes, it is the crucifixion of the flesh. But the only part of ourselves that we're crucifying is the old man, Mm. is that self-destruction. It's the things that God says destroys our souls. Beyond that, going to be more yourself under the light of his wisdom, just like the nature around us flourishes because it is obeying what it was created to do. And it just absolutely, when you walk in nature, Mm. that's why it's so gorgeous, Mm. is that it's under the light of God's wisdom, it's in compliance with his plan for it. Whether you're an evergreen tree, whether you are a cherry blossom, like whatever you are out in nature. And so the same is true with our spirits, right? That same wisdom that spoke creation into existence and all the beauty and complexity of it, that same wisdom speaks life into our individual natures Mm. there's nobody like you and his plan is for you to be the best version of yourself that you can possibly be yeah thanks for pointing that out so chapter 14 is what's the theme humility Mm -hmm. and it's kind of funny because i feel like you see his humor a bit in chapter 14 okay it's kind of a good chapter to be able to laugh at yourself a little okay. bit. Okay, <laughs> okay, this is important. <laughs> you know, sometimes we can feel like when things get pointed out to us and you're like, oh man, I can't, yes, I yes. do that. Guilty, you know? guilty. Yeah. And I you could guilty. like, you could like crawl into like, yeah. oh, shame. Right. Um, or you could just kind of, yep, I'm, you know, I'm, yeah. this is silly. Yep, we all do it. Mm, <laughs> you yeah. know, so yeah. I think chapter 14 for me was a good chapter to be able to like, not take myself so seriously and be able to okay. laugh at myself a little bit. Do you, I was thinking about this meme that has gone around this last year. Okay. It's called the monkey puppet. I don't think so. This is new <laughs> to me. Fill me in. Okay. Well, he, <laughs> monkey puppet has its own Wikipedia page, oh, but it's girl. like this monkey and he's like walking and he's kind of like looking backwards. Like, <laughs> um, did anybody see that? <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Can you picture that? Yes, I can. Okay. It's can. been all over. And new, you know, memes get put to this image. Oh, self-consciousness. Yes. Yeah. And I reading chapter 14 uh-huh. just kind of pierces right to 
the pride, <laughs> you know. Of, right. And don't try just, to save face. Yeah. You're going to, you know what? <laughs> the older you get, there's been so many public failures and embarrassments and fumbles and bumbles that you just kind of don't surprise yourself much anymore. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. it's just like, yeah, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> So that was the image that came to mind. And love it. Um, C.S. Lewis is just so good at that. He was so perceptive of human nature. Oh, so. Yeah. Do you have anything from chapter 15? Yes. 15 was another favorite uh-huh. and one that really spoke to me because it's something that I struggle with. It's about living in the present. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Um, versus living in the future or in the past. Yeah. So the excerpt that I really liked was the humans live in time but our enemy destines them to eternity he therefore i believe wants them to attend chiefly to two things to eternity itself and to that point of time which they call the present for the present is the point at which time touches eternity mm. of the present moment and of it only humans have an experience analogous to the experience which our enemy has of reality as a whole in it alone freedom and actuality are offered them he would therefore have them continually concerned either with eternity, which means being concerned with him, mm-hmm. or with the present, either meditating on their eternal union with or separation from himself, mm-hmm. or else obeying the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cross, receiving the present grace, and giving thanks for the present pleasure. Mm-hmm. Living in the present. Yeah. I love, I love this chapter because... I probably live in the future the most. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm always planning the next thing. Uh, you know, I mixed the scones up on Saturday oh, when right, I was right. mixing the up. Future. <laughs> yeah, for the future. Which is, you know, there's that, something to be said for good planning. There is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, Forward thinking, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I tend to live there. Oh, I see. And so he talks about living in the future. You're either going to live in hope or fear, like somewhere between those two um, places. And, you know, hope has the temptation of disappointment and fear. Well, that's just terrible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And what I see sometimes with women that are my, closer to my age is sort of like thinking about the past, like the, oh, I remember when the babies were home and it was a pitter patter of little feet and it was, and kind of romanticizing, I guess, the blessings of yesteryear yeah, and not living in the present of what are the blessings that are unique to this stage that I'm in right now? Because there are plenty, you have a lot to look forward to. People need not dread the later years, that Mm -hmm. each era has blessings unique to each era. And, you know, we kind of hand off things. We, you know, like beauty fades with age. And so we hand, God takes some of that back, but then he hands us a little more freedom, Mm. you know? And so there's this give and take where you're handing back some blessings and he's handing you other blessings and Mm. you just trade those off and enjoy the blessings that are unique right now to this era. I love that. You know, we just moved and every time we've moved, we've lived in three homes. Okay. And... I am just very sentimental. I get really attached to what are our routines and what are the things that we do while we live here. And I just like grieve greatly when one chapter's closing and a new one's beginning. And I think going through that, it's good to go through that process every few years because it helps you really realize like, 
no season lasts forever. Mm-hmm. And while you're in it, just enjoy the blessings and the, the pleasures of that season and know mm-hmm. that it's not going to last forever. Yeah. And soak it in, baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> soak it in. It was interesting, too, though, in case you um, misinterpret his point. Okay. He does later in the chapter talk about that attending to tomorrow's needs okay is today's duty oh okay. so okay you know in case you like run with the idea of like oh we should never think about the future gotcha he does you know put some boundaries on that and say part of today's duty is to think about tomorrow right <laughs> right so don't get absorbed by tomorrow yeah but there's a point in your day you you know you take care of tomorrow's duties today and then there's a point in your day where mm-hmm. you just say okay, I'm mm-hmm. done now. I'm just going to enjoy. You know, and I think, yeah. oh, I love the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh-huh. As it makes me think of, you know, just eat, drink, and be merry. And that's such a big um, emphasis of Ecclesiastes mm-hmm. is like, enjoy today, work hard, uh-huh. love your wife, love your family, enjoy your food. Yes. Well, we love when our kids are happy, right? That's our favorite thing is when our kids are giggling and happy. Like yeah. God's the same way. He wants us to love yes. life and see good days. You yeah. know, so he tells us the things to refrain from in order for that to make that happen. So, yeah, we're on the same page with him in Christ for sure. Yeah, I remember having that thought like uh, one of my boys is very imaginative uh-huh. and loves dinosaurs and probably our best player. Okay. Like just. Oh, engrossed in yeah. the storyline. Yeah. And <laughs> I just remember a couple years ago. Just, I, I got so much joy out of just like watching oh, him for play. Sure. Yeah. It's uh, hysterical. I, I am not that person. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> and so like just watching him just be able to have a whole storyline yeah. that he's playing out and it's like it. he's physically seen it. And I would just love to watch him. Uh-huh. And I remember having that thought like, well, if I'm enjoying this, God must enjoy watching yes. us play and uh, give ourselves the freedom to play. Mm-hmm. And not think that, oh, we're too mm-hmm. spiritual for that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there's a there's a place for play. Oh, amen, sister. <laughs> Take the time to play. Laugh. Laugh and play. And you know what? Sometimes the responsibilities of raising a family, like life can get really serious after some decades of marriage where it's like, when was the last time we played? Like laugh together and just soaked up all of the joyous blessings that the fruits of our labor, like let's eat some fruit of our labor right now and not just Mm -hmm. labor, 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 labor. Let's eat some fruit of our labor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In our move uh, the day after when I was still sort of in grieving mode that like this chapter had closed and I wasn't all excited about this new one to start. Mm -hmm. I went through my box of keepsakes okay and I opened up like old letters and things Mm -hmm. that I had written and I saw like this silly person (laughs) hiding in there Uh my 16 year old silly self and I was like I have gotten so far away from (laughs) that person in the middle of like what's for dinner and is there clean clothes for tomorrow and yes I've just lost touch a lot with yeah the silliness I even came across Okay. Things I need to work on. Oh. Uh-huh. And it was, I need to work on being more serious. And then another one was, I need to be less silly. And I thought, 
oh my goodness who is this <laughs> like <laughs> yeah like I am so far from that person so uh, so do you feel like some of us need to lighten up and some of us need to tighten up you know what I'm saying mm. and so teenagers are pretty light um yep. so yeah yeah what well, I think it's really smart that you kept all that stuff I mean what a great opportunity to reflect and think about your growth and sometimes life itself just kind of makes us more serious and we got to remember to uh, be a little bit because you know what? I think our laughter is music to our husband's ears. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what he's living for is our light heart, our joy. I mean, it translates, I think, to our husband's, I'm on the right track. I'm doing the right. All is well in the kingdom mm. right now. She's happy. That's Mission true. accomplished, you know. They yeah. love that. So if we can do what we can to have a light heart, you know, yeah, I think that goes a long yes. way. My husband is very good at he is a live in the present oh, nice. kind of person. Yeah. And so he helps balance me out. But yeah, he enjoys when I am living in the present with yeah. him. In chapter 16, um, it talked about becoming a critic where God wants me to be a pupil. Like for me, it made me question, am I most outspoken about what matters most to God? So sometimes we're not critical of what is false, C.S. Lewis had pointed out. So um, like the, just the very fact that he exists. Am I outspoken about that? Am I outspoken about the self-destruction involved in sexual recklessness? Um, stop questioning what is self-evident, like God's existence, that the Bible is true, or that marriage is good. And we need to start questioning evil, Ephesians 5.11. So again, that was becoming a critic of where God wants me to be a pupil, yet not being critical of what is false. Mm. The truth of the matter is, is that if you are stating what the judge has said on a topic, you are not being judgmental. You're just loving the person that's listening by saying, here's what the judge of our soul says on that topic. And so that's really the expression of love is to not hide what God says on any topic. <laughs> so what did you have in chapter 17? The theme of 17 is gluttony. Mm, guilty. Seven. <laughs> she knows what my <laughs> vice is. Oh. But it's it, it's not gluttony of excess. Okay. It's gluttony of delicacy. Oh, I remember that. Yes, yeah. do tell. Okay, so it's an appearance of temperance, but it's actually self-indulgence. Right. So like the mother, it's yeah. not that, you know, she's not a glutton like she's, you know, eating Gorging two herself. plates of food. Right. It's that nothing's quite good enough. Yes. The service, the servants in the yes. home are not preparing it just quite right. Right. You know, and I think, again, this was like that, that monkey puppet where I'm like, oh, you know. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Um, because I um, love having minimal things in my home and... Oh, yeah. But that is such a part of minimalism that I don't like is this sort of this, well, I only have a caps, a 10 piece capsule wardrobe, Oh right. but it might cost $3,000 Oh right. and right. nothing is quite good enough. And, oh, maybe you, you bought something for a hundred dollars, but it wasn't quite right. You know, right. so I've got to get something new. Yes. Um, well, anyway, I'm actually a bargain hunter. I would never spend money like that <laughs> on a wardrobe <laughs> no right but that's sort of the spirit in agreed minimalism like oh it looks like you don't like materialism it uh-huh. looks like 
I Look, see what you you're don't, saying. you're not, you don't go to the store and buy tons of stuff. Uh-huh. But actually, what is the real motive? Like, is it self-indulgence? Uh-huh. Like you know? the best of the best or the, just yeah. like, this is exactly. Yeah. So gluttony can also be pickiness. Yes. Right? Yes. Right. That was a real eye-opener So for sneaky. Me <laughs> well, and the thing is too, I've noticed as I've aged, like you get to know, you keep getting to know yourself better and better and better and better. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, it really lends itself to that pickiness. Like yeah. I know exactly which kind of coffee mm-hmm. that I like. And there's no other coffee that's as good as the one that I have discovered that's my favorite. Yeah. So it's so easy to fall into that and to be less and less flexible. And when you're, when you're tracking like that, you're not enjoying all the other cups of coffee, so to speak. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Good, good point. Thank you, yeah. C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. So chapter 18 is about marriage. And do you remember anything in that chapter, like some of the principles that he draws on marriage? That we would despise the idea of a marriage as a loyal partnership. Okay, a and loyal. And that part of marriage is simply for sexual purity mm-hmm. and reproduction. Like that we would kind of think. Okay, it's just that's that. That's silly if you think that's what marriage is. like. Okay. One of the quotes from chapter 18 was, um, quote, that marriage can and ought to render excitement permanently and Mm -hmm. that a marriage which does not do so is no longer binding. I mean, that's kind of the thought I think right now of just like, oh, it's not as exciting as it used to be. I must be out of love. I need to find my next marriage partner. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, life can be exciting. Marriage is actually created as a platform to reflect Christ's relationship with his bride, the church, and to show how wise God is to have us grow love by living out the fruits of the Spirit. So, yes, it's exciting. Yes, it's companionship and fulfillment. And, but if we think it's only that, we can really start to become like making ourselves idols of, oh, how well is he fulfilling me? That's mm-hmm. why I got married, so mm-hmm. I would have fulfillment. And instead, it's so much bigger than that. It's a, such a spiritual journey. And I think when we realize that, we can actually have deeper and even more fulfilling marriages. Chapter 18 also points out the danger of marrying someone who is a heathen, he says, or a fool or a wanton or immoral person because I'm, quote, in love and therefore will not suffer any consequences. I mean, that <laughs> if you've lived long enough, I think we've all seen how that unfortunately lands Yeah, being in love, the thing is, we need to live our life with our head always and really train our consciences or our body will be the boss and will boss Mm -hmm. us around into really unhealthy and poor choices. So we hear a lot of times like follow your feelings, but man, that's expensive. It is expensive to follow your feelings. Weeks, and I think Luke 16, 25 points that out. So um, we've spoken a lot about how the feeling of pleasure is exactly from God and how God wants us to have joy and peace um, and to experience love on a deep level. But to make feelings our God, that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about when they, we're allowing our feelings to direct our life. Dangerous. Yeah. Well, you had mentioned, I think when we were talking about peaks and troughs. Oh, yeah you compare that to marriage and Mm, that that's definitely a theme in this chapter Mm -hmm. like that there's troughs in marriage and Mm -hmm. a lot of times we have all the good feelings at the beginning and not that they end but it just changes yeah and yeah the the will the will has to be driving that yes the decision love is a decision commitment yep 
You know what else I think is interesting, Julie, is how the different aspects of your marriage. It's not like it all as a package is in a trough or is in a, what was it again? Mountain? Not Peaks. Mountain. Peaks. Thank you. Um, it's sort of like, oh, okay, finances are in the trough, mm. but the emotional connection is at a peak. Yeah. But the, you know, and so if you, whatever aspect of marriage you can think of, like if, I don't know how many elements there are, but you know, if there are six elements, they are like on a different scale. <laughs> mm. Like one part of marriage can be going super well and another part not, you know, they kind of each have a life of their own. That's just, that's been my experience, you know, that we need to kind of maybe be open in communication with within marriage and say, hey, what, what do you think on a scale of one to 10? Like, where are we on these different levels? And what would it take to bring it closer to a 10 mm. for both of us? Mm. And just, I know that takes a lot of vulnerability, mm-hmm. but I think there's, I mean, there, I know some couples that do that, like on their anniversary. Mm. They're like, okay, so where are you? Where do you think we are? What do you think would be some things to really augment our marriage and make it um, more joyous? So in chapter 21, there was this point made of thinking that God belongs to me instead of me belonging to God, thus seeing him ask, quote, the God on whom I have a claim for my distinguished services, unquote. So (laughs) what a great reminder that we are his and that... And you know what? I think we'll like ourselves more when we are unselfish in that kind of way of thinking, that it is all about God. And he doesn't exist for us. We exist for him. Mm. We are his. Mm-hmm. So what happens in chapter 22? Chapter 22, he meets a girl. Okay. Okay, well, this is going to be... <laughs> this can go one of two ways, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so he actually... I think kind of right before this was almost at a point where, you know, he could have walked away. Okay. Um, From Christianity? Mm-hmm. Okay. And just seen it as, oh, that was an interesting phase. And oh. now I've moved on to something else. Right. But he meets a girl and she is part of this, um, you know, strong Christian family okay. in a strong community. Uh-huh. And she's very sincere she's a bit sheltered okay she kind of thinks the whole world is her experience but it's so she's very naive yeah but it's forgivable because she doesn't know anything else Uh you know and she's it's it's like it comes from a sweet heart okay and yeah she's very sincere she's witty she's a virgin that's mentioned too okay Uh, and her home her family is sort of this influential family their faith community um the quote i have is there are things for humans to do all day long without his minding in the least everything has to be twisted before it's any use to us nothing is naturally on our side so that's a kind Mm -hmm. of an echo of previous things Uh um that was my favorite quote from that chapter but yeah it's interesting that a girl is used Mm -hmm. and this community and he wants to be a part of it Mm -hmm. and they welcome him into it even though i think in a later chapter it says it's kind of like he he doesn't really deserve to be in this community (laughs) like people are being gracious to like welcome him in i see but that it's, you know, it's really a turning point in his faith. He needed that support. Yeah. He needed discipleship. Yeah. And that was provided through this family and through this girl. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So <laughs> the influence of women to men, like we can be, God uses us often to save men. 
you know, I often think about that, how we have what they want most. And if everyone had the standards that God has put in place to allow men to have what they want most, can you imagine what the world would look like? There would no, there would never be another abortion. There would never be another sexually transmitted disease. I mean, the ripple effects, even just on our economy, it would look so different if the kind of thing that happens in this chapter, if women brought to marriage um, the very things that the man needs to mature in his relationship to God and be an opportunity for growth. That's that's where the power of women, I think, is most influential. Mm-hmm. We have the, a, a way to bring out the best in the men of our culture, and I think that's really our assignment. Mm-hmm. Any observations in chapter 23? Yes. He had talked before about extreme patriot or extreme pacifist. Oh, yes. Um, World War II is going on. That's Mm -hmm. the the context of really the whole book. Yeah. And so are you, you know, an extreme patriot, I guess, would be maybe in the service or obviously wanting your side to win. Mm -hmm. Um, But he talks about... Use Christianity uh-huh. to produce a good society. Okay. So it's that's kind of more of a like a residual effect or a ripple effect of Christianity. It does happen to produce yeah. a better society, but the purpose wasn't to have the best political system. The purpose was to save souls and it yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. And it just so happens that God's moral standards really have ripple effects that make any culture flourish mm-hmm. yeah yeah so that was really interesting to me because i have caught myself thinking oh if we would just have you know a, a revival then that would be what uh-huh. saved our country uh-huh. and of course that would be a wonderful thing yeah that would be good for all people because christian principles benefit everybody in a Always. society Always, always, yeah. But yeah, we have to be careful to remember what is the the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the end is not to create a good society here. It's like you said, yeah. it's to save souls. But yeah. it does happen to happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so I think just keeping that in check. So that our allegiances aren't to a political Party, but it's really to God's principles. Now, if there's a political party that aligns itself more closely to God's principles, then there's something there. But yeah, that our allegiance really isn't to a nation, but really to God. And that benefits our nation for sure. Yeah. So in chapter 24, there was a point made about feeling a social pride or an inward trumping of self-congratulation regarding being a Christian rather than a humble gratitude. So almost using our Christianity as a stepping stone to gain social prestige, I guess. Mm -hmm. And instead of having it produce humbleness in us, you know, having it kind of make us prideful. Really, I think the solution to that is to always remember when we see people suffering for not having aligned their lives with the wisdom of God to remember, but for the grace of God, there go I. That any glory, it's all God's. You know, and Christianity will give you more self-respect, but it's a little bit like your point that you're talking about how it's just a ripple effect that our culture gets better when more people become Christians, you know, peace reigns and such. With this point, Christianity will will give you more self-respect, but that is to be but a ripple effect rather than the goal. It's Mm -hmm. not to have high Mm self-esteem. Yeah, It'll give you high self-esteem, but 
it's more and it'll give you more confidence but really that that confidence is in the lord and the esteem is really that we're esteeming god yeah i have it summed up in spiritual pride is the sort of the theme mm-hmm. and here he had been welcomed into this community of faith yeah and instead of feeling gratitude that people had welcomed him in and really seen him in his proper place that he was the newbie he was young in the faith and looking up to people you Mm -hmm. know that could teach him it was he kind of was like proud of himself like look at me i'm one of the leaders now so what struck you in chapter 26 26 is really about marriage family relationships Uh uh-huh and that we assert ourselves and articulate mm-hmm. to our family what we would like, mm-hmm. what we need, rather than um, kind of holding things in and being like, oh, I, made all the, I make all the sacrifices around here, oh. or I never get what I want, when we didn't even express it. Yeah, people want to know. <laughs> yeah. People want to know how to make mama happy or <laughs> yeah. whatever. Yeah. So say. there was this scenario that the, the family was going to have tea in the garden. Um, one of the family members says, hey, let's have tea in the garden. Yes. And then another person is thinking, well, I don't want to have tea in the garden. But they don't express it. They don't actually say yeah, it. Yeah, they just yeah. want to hold on to this feeling of like, I never get what I want. Uh-huh. And they always get what they want. Yeah. <laughs> Because the other thing is, like, when you say your other idea, other everybody may go like, we didn't think about that. Like, you're yeah. holding back maybe something yeah. that's going to make the experience even better. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I love knowing, I would much rather know what people want, even if it's different than what my first idea is. To me, one of the most fun things is to kind of negotiate, hey, how high a level can we get of what would make us both happy? Like, let's use our yeah. creativity here and find the thing that we all get, like, a level 10 experience. Yeah. Yeah. Because so there's so much eat. misunderstanding that can yeah, happen, like yeah. the assumptions we oh, make of our family. Got it. And, you know, I did this a lot growing up. I'm a middle child. Oh, me too. And, you know, I just, I didn't express a lot like, mm, oh, I want to eat here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, a lot of times thought, oh, you know, I had these sort of self-pity thoughts of like, well, I never get to choose. Oh, but it, I see. I never actually had the courage to say, right. well, I would like to eat here. Yeah. Because what happens if you say, I want to eat at McDonald's and then, you know, nobody likes their food. <laughs> well, then it's, <laughs> it's all on you. It's all on me. Yeah, you had a so bad idea. I would have... Like, you know, I'm a little kid, so I don't understand all these things that is going on. <laughs> now I understand it. But, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, I would rather be critical of the choice somebody else made uh, and feel this, like, injury. Like, well, I didn't get to choose. Yeah. I never get to choose. Yeah, I'm a And child. look at what they chose. Like, uh-huh. I don't even really enjoy this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. So it's gotcha. a lot of those ideas. And yeah. so... I just think really the lesson to learn from that is be the leader of yourself. You know, know when when it's time to, you know, express like, oh, I would really like to go here. Yeah. And, you know, not that we need to do that all the time. Right. And insist on our way all the time. Yeah. But it's not good to always say, oh, well, no, I won't choose. Like, you know, because in a... In a loving family, in a loving marriage, we all get to take turns. And yeah, and it actually it takes, I think it, it's very vulnerable and takes courage That's to true. say, 
I would like this. And knowing that that decision is going to affect other people. Right. I think, yeah, that is very vulnerable. And so, so many people would rather just have that like quiet self-injury and quiet self-pity. Right. Rather than like, okay, take the lead. And, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe not everyone's going to enjoy it. Yeah. But... (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, and maybe they can't do it, do it that way this time, but they remembered, oh, you want last week, you were kind of into that. Do you still want that? And yeah, as you're kind of negotiating and yeah, everybody is happier. I guess that communication isn't an honest communication. Here's my preference. I'm still flexible. One yeah. technique that we do for communication on that is, and this takes a lot of honesty. What number are you on that? So like a really super mm. strong feeling is a 10. In any relationship, we want the other person to be equally fulfilled. And so, yeah, yeah, we're sometimes, that sounds pretty good, too. Actually, I hadn't thought of that. I like your idea better. And, you know, yeah, just say what you want. Nobody really wants to live with a martyr. We'd rather live with a fulfilled, happy person. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Yes. So in chapter 28, there's kind of a change of setting in this man's life. So it moves out of his relationships. And so what's going on in chapter 28? Well, the war is going on, uh-huh. and there's bomb raids mm-hmm. constantly over England. Yep. And he has his job, his post. Okay. And he decides that, you know, he's going to be faithful to his duty. So, a quote from Screwtape he says, They, the humans, regard death as the prime evil, and survival as the greatest good. But that is because we have taught them to do so. So, you know, we we see a, a life shortened as a tragedy, mm-hmm. but Satan Satan can use a long a life. A long life. He says, the long, dull, monotonous years of middle-aged prosperity or adversity mm-hmm. are excellent campaigning weather. Mm-hmm. Well, a little bit like what Jesus talks about in the parable of the sower, right? Where those weeds are growing or mm. just the um, distractions of life, the cares and the riches and the pleasures can mm. be used by the enemy of our soul to distract us. Whereas if we had died, if, if you die and you're faithful and you're like 22, mm-hmm. this is a victory. Yeah. And if then you go on to not make the most of the years ahead of you, Satan has you where he wants. So... Yeah, yeah, very, very good point. And so then in chapter 29, it talked about being proud of one's vice. And that was just something that really rang true to me in our culture right now. Mm. And I was thinking, what if murderers or liars or lazy people or arsonists or thieves banded together and came up with clever slogans and gathered on a regular basis for pride parades (laughs) about how... It's God who made them greedy or destructive, or this is just me. Mm -hmm. Um, So the point is, being proud of one's vice, uh, let's not brag about anything um, that God calls a vice. Like, vices are vices, and it destroys souls, and we want want souls to thrive. Um, And so that's why... He he touched on that earlier um, in a chapter that we didn't... Um, expound on but it was on humor okay and um he talked about that well if we could just turn a vice into like a joke oh like uh that's a really clever Uh trick and i see that so much i mean Mm -hmm. you can't even find a good comedy show right now because it's just the assumption is just oh well 
everybody watches porn, so mm-hmm. it's just if right. we can joke about it's a it. Matter of fact, if right. we just joke about it and make light of it, then right. that makes it okay. Right. You know, right. that's just where we are with humor right now, mm-hmm. and so I think that's mm-hmm. kind of related. That yeah. like, well, let's just be proud of our vices, or let's right. just air it all and They're not nothing. show any shame. Right. No shame. No shame. <laughs> Chapter twenty nine um, is. Um, I, my notes, my theme is coward, courage and cowardice. Mm, mm-hmm. um, so actually, this is one of my favorite quotes. Okay. Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. The main point is that precautions have a tendency to create fear. For remember, the act of cowardice is all that matters. The emotion of fear in itself, no sin, and though we enjoy it, does us no good. Mm-hmm. But I love that, that, um, you know, this this chapter, the first time I had listened to it was really when um, I developed a fascination for courage and just mm. started seeing it everywhere. Yeah. You know, and that's a popular, um, it's pretty popular. That's true. In, yeah. in like pop culture It's a popular right now. virtue, yes. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so um, although it's maybe not always like biblical, right. <laughs> what we should, how do you express courage or what yeah. to be courageous about? Right. But um, yeah, that was kind of the beginning of when I started really seeing the value of courage in that trade. I feel like it's one of the the quieter, less named virtues in scripture, but I feel like it's so connected with faith. Oh, like yeah. it's the fruit of faith mm-hmm. and it really is a defining trait of Christians. Like if we truly have faith, mm-hmm. it will result in courage. Yeah. My and peace I give unto you. I mean, peace is related to courage. You yeah. know, that you're at peace with situations that other people are having a hard time finding courage. Yeah. yeah. And it's like when you really look at all the the stories in the Old Testament, the heroes of faith, that mm-hmm. is really the underlying virtue mm-hmm. that got that story into scriptures because yeah. that person had courage to do something different than everybody else around him. Or, right. or they did something out of the ordinary. Yeah. You know? Because they trusted God. Yeah. yeah. They're, I remember also part of this whole journey for me of like thinking about courage and cowardice is there's a verse in Revelation that talks about when it's talking about like listing all the people who will be who will be in hell. Okay. Oh, right, and right. It says cowards and the cowardly. <laughs> and I was like, uh, that just stood out to me because you're thinking, you know, you're in there with like murders and murders yeah, and all cowardly. these you know, terrible things. Cowardly because it's lack of faith. Okay, so in chapter thirty, the bomb raids. Okay, I think are still going on, and he's found courage. He's found the courage mm. to be faithful to his post. Yes. Faithfully. And so, what really taught me an important lesson in chapter thirty, where it's really two things. Um, C.S. Lewis makes a point of the scheme of depending upon one's own moral resources to fall back on and not those the Lord supplies. And that was so, to me, such a a reminder of we do all things through Christ. Um, I mean, that's his plan. It's not all things through, like as we're talking about courage, it's not the amount of courage that I have mustered in and of myself. It's, I mean, I'm going to say supernatural. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's this supernatural thing that can overcome us when we're like, Lord, I do not have it in me. I need you to put this in my heart or that in my heart in order to go the distance. 
And the second thing that really, really struck me was, you know, I'm talking about going the distance. So having a pre-calculated amount of time that one is expected to have to wait for relief. Like if you do the math and you're like, this is how much longer I'm going to have to stick with this. That really predisposes us to really kind of a despair when hope is delayed. Mm -hmm. So that can be really dangerous. So it's so tempting to kind of pace ourselves. And so many things take longer than we thought. Yes. Yes, I have a quote. Whatever men expect, they soon come to think that they have a right to. Mm -hmm. The sense of disappointment can, with very little skill on our part, be turned into a sense of injury. Exaggerate the weariness by making him think it will soon be over. For men usually feel that a strain could have been endured no longer at the moment when it is ending or when they think it is ending. Mm -hmm. In this, as in the problem of cowardice, the thing to avoid is total commitment. Mm -hmm. Whatever he says, let his inner resolution be not to bear whatever comes to him, but to bear it for a reasonable period. Yes. And let the reasonable period be shorter than the trial is likely to last. Yes, yes. The mountain is longer and steeper and harder than you had anticipated. Yeah. It's always going to be like that from time to time. Yeah. So, I mean, let's ask God for a second wind. Let's ask him to renew our spirit. And the other thing we can do is really stream life our life during those moments to only what matters. You know, you think about Mary and Martha, like go into full-blown Mary mode. You know, what is necessary So, you know, what can you take out of your backpack, Mm. so to speak, that is encumbering you and remove the things like, okay, there is nothing right now in this crisis. There is, I'm going to have to set this aside for a while. Mm. I know I said I'd volunteer for this and that. I just, I'm sorry. I'll try to catch it later on. Whatever it is, take out of your backpack, whatever is encumbering you and just allow yourself to free fall into his arms so he can carry you the rest of the distance it's a happy ending isn't it like we're not going to give it away what do they call that again julie when it's like you tell somebody how it's gonna spoiler a spoiler alert like (laughs) yeah we're not going to do that (laughs) yeah okay it's a happy ending which i guess makes it a little bit obvious about what happens but (laughs) yeah yeah it's about victory Mm -hmm. any final (laughs) thoughts that you have on the screw tape letters before i wind us down just i think it's worth reading worth it's reading. very insightful sometimes you need to be called out you know mm-hmm. and maybe you don't have a person in your life who has the courage to call you out yeah <laughs> and so let's see us lewis do it <laughs> <laughs> let's see us lewis do it that's like almost a t-shirt almost a t-shirt um so yeah like we said not the easiest book that you'll ever read uh, but i mean i know even some bright teenagers that have read the book and rave about it and how much it has changed them. So yes, a very deep book, a very brief book. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think you can read it in half an afternoon or something, you know, maybe a day. One idea too that might be very beneficial to you is to highlight each scheme and make a list of the strategies like in your own notes. That was very, very useful to me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this classic is an excellent choice for small groups of older teens and up and can easily be used I think alongside scriptures on the topic of standing firm against temptation an internet search will produce all kinds of options if you want like discussion questions maybe with a book club and that kind of thing those are like pre-done and there's all kinds of people that have 
um, gathered together to discuss this book at length. So we would totally encourage that so that you can discover for yourself the value of reading this great, great book. Thank you, Julie. The baby was so good today. Like yeah. <laughs> he took his nap just like a good boy. Yep. Yes. <laughs> right on cue. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll have to do this again sometime. I really enjoyed it. All right. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye.